Today marks an exactly a month from the day that I found out that my mother passed. Her passing was quite sudden, it was quite unexpected, it was deeply devastating, and I still feel the aftershocks of it to this day. In the days following my mother's passing, when I was at home with my family in Texas, helping them with the funeral arrangements, there was a question that resonated, that reverberated within my soul. And the question was, will I ever laugh again? This is a question that's a bit disheartening for me because I consider myself a follower of Jesus. I am a Christian. The joy of the Lord is my strength, as they say, and yet I felt so pressed in by despair. And so today we are going to look closely at this idea of joy. We're going to examine it and ask, does it, how, does it bear weight? Does it mean anything for our very real lives? Lives that sometimes feel so full of hopelessness, so, um, so vulnerable to despair, so aware, so keenly aware of all the heartbreak in the world. We're going to look at a passage that offers some camaraderie to us, that puts language to our pain. We're going to look at a passage that offers some inspiration to us to see how the disciples grappled with their own despair and how maybe joy was helpful for them in doing that. And then we're going to look at a passage for guidance so that we can be practical and know what we need to do with the actual thing of joy in our everyday lives. So before I do that, will you join me in prayer? Oh, beloved Prince of Peace, as I come before you, Lord, let the words that I share with my friends be pleasing to you. Let the meditation of my heart be um, delightful to you, Lord, and let my friends' ears be receptive for whatever it is that you would have them receive. In your name, Lord, amen. Recently, my husband um, suggested that for our, for our at-home date night, um, for us to watch a movie that I would typically not watch. It was one of these movies that's filled with high-speed car chases and crime bosses and senseless violence right and left. He knows I don't like these kind of movies. Why did he waste a time to text? Why did he spend so much time uh, checking out a movie and then suggesting it to me? But as soon as, I, as soon as he said the name of the movie, I knew exactly why he picked that movie for us to watch on our date night. Because I had mentioned to him in passing that I read in an article that this movie was held as a tribute to the magic of the earbud. The, uh, the uh, writer of that article went on to say that this movie, although it is your typical high-speed, action-packed movie, it uses music in such a brilliant, delightful way. It weaves the soundtrack um, of that movie through certain moments in the movie that really shine, that really connect you to the story of the movie. They said it was a wonder and I really wanted to watch it. And so my husband brought it. I must confess to you this morning, my friends, that music is one of those things that I will almost always say yes to in whatever medium I find it, even a high action packed movie. I can't go a day without listening to my favorite playlist dancing around my house, and my favorite memories are attached to songs. I really love when network TV, when network TV tries to recreate my beloved musicals for a primetime audience. I love that audacity. And I, maybe it's been a little bit too much on monthly music subscriptions. Lord, help me and give my husband patience when he gets the credit card bill. So the reason I could not stop thinking about this movie after we watched it was for that very reason, the masterful way that they used music. And not just because it was connected to music, which I love so deeply, 
but because the way they use music is, was a beautiful illustration of how you and I can look at um, joy and the work of joy in our life. Because see, as I was watching how they used the soundtrack of that movie to um, tell the story, to point out some of the heartbreak and brokenness of the main character, it had me asking this one question. Is joy a superfluous, irresponsible thing? The music that brought so much joy to that main character really shined through the whole of the movie. So is joy just one of these things that we can take or leave, or, or is it something that needs to be knitted into every movement of our life? And then going forward as a believer, as a Christian, do I need to build a theology of joy that is vibrant enough to walk with me in my everyday life? So that is what we're going to explore today. So this movie, as some of you may have already caught on, was the movie Baby Driver. And just to give you a little bit, just a, a, a little synopsis of it, it's about this young man who has a condition called tinnitus. And the reason why the music is so important to him is because he would listen to his favorite songs, his soundtrack for life, if you will, while he was having to uh, be a, a, an escape driver for these uh, for robbers and how he was weaving in and out of dangerous traffic and doing these amazing maneuvers, but he was leaning into the music because it drowned out the tinnitus in his ear and it gave him something to move his life through. And I wonder, as I was watching him, there was a few moments in the movie where it was very clear when he did not have access to his music how deep and resonant that ringing, that throbbing in his ear was. And as I watched that, it made me think that you and I live in a world where we are surrounded by deep, resonant throbbing of brokenness. It may not be, it may not be like my situation where I am deeply grieving and missing my mother, but maybe for you it may be the loss of an opportunity and maybe he's watching something on the news that really stirs up anger and injustice in you. It may be a conflict you're having with a loved one. What is that deep, resonant throbbing in your ear? I call those pain triggers. And as I watched this movie, I could see that when, he, when the main character leaned into that throbbing, that was all consuming. There was nothing else in his world but that deep pain pressing into him. For years now, um, I have thought of, of that deep pain as a pain trigger, and I've often felt like an exposed nerve, that sometimes I'm moving through the world incredibly tender, just waiting to be hurt again. So when somebody tells me, as I'm moving through this broken world, to choose joy, it feels so incredibly Pollyanna. It feels incredibly pithy. It feels unrealistic. It feels, quite honestly, insensitive. And so let us look at the words of our psalmist, our words for camaraderie. Psalm 137, 1 through 6 says, By the river of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There in the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captives asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy, they said. Sing us one of those songs of Zion. How can we sing songs of the Lord in such a foreign land? Do you feel the despair, the indignance of those words? As we move through a world that is so keen for brokenness, that we are so aware of how things are not right, how is it responsible to consider joy? So then what do we do then, my friends? Do we just live like in a perpetual exposed nerve? Do we continually just 
accept that we're going to be brokenhearted, that wholeness and wholehearted living is not for us. No, I want to suggest to you that because of Jesus, because of the Spirit, because of our community, we can have joy. Joy, as I have learned, is an untapped source of nourishment and relief. It is what I've learned a weapon against despair. Um, joy is something that we can look to and we can lean into and we can integrate into our life to become a weapon, like I said, against that despair, a subversive weapon, because everything around us is telling us to feel the despair and feel broken and feel like that exposed nerve, and yet we will say, no, I will not. I will press against. My favorite theologian, Willie James Jennings, describes this pressing against the despair of our world with joy as an act of resistance. He says, joy resists despair in all the ways despair wants to drive us towards death. And he says, death in this regard is not simply the end of life, but it is death in all the signatures, violence, war, debt, all the ways in which our lives can be strangled. So my friends, I ask you to consider, what is that throbbing? What is that low hum of pain that you're constantly aware of that is strangling the life from you. And then, may I offer you a weapon to push it back, joy. Let's look at our scripture for inspiration, Acts 16, 25 through 26. Paul and Silas, when at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. Now Paul and Silas had been doing the work of God. They were brokenhearted because they chose to be, because they chose to follow God and to tell people about God and to do his work. And so if there's anybody who had a right to be, be angry at God and say, I don't want your joy right now. I don't want anything to do with you. It's two men who were beaten and put in jail, and yet, and yet, in their prison cell, they sang a hymn of praise to God. They tuned their ears away from that low thrum that you can imagine. It was surrounding them in that prison cell. The pain in their bodies, the frustration that their ministry uh, was going in a different direction than they expected. They had every reason to pay attention to that low thrum, and yet they tuned their ears to the soundtrack of heaven. They chose to use joy as a weapon to press against it. And when they chose to lean into joy, the very foundations of the cell was, was cracked. The doors flew open, and that is my encouragement to you, friends, is when you feel the pain and the despair of your life pressing into you, Joy can be such a great weapon that you can push it back and the very foundation of that brokenness will be shattered and you will be liberated. Now, my friends, I'm one of these very practical people. Do not come and tell me that the joy of the Lord is my strength because I will ask you exactly what does that strength look like in my everyday life. I am not somebody that likes to leave church and just ponder good thoughts. I want good works and good words and good actions. And so I'm going to offer you a suggestion from scripture, our, our scripture for encouragement, which is found in Nehemiah. And Nehemiah encourages us. 
Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. When I think about leaning into Nehemiah's encouragement to take part of choice food and sweet wine, it's, it could be choice food and sweet wine for you. If that is what brings you joy, then enjoy that. But it can also be metaphorical. And so when I think of that, I think as, as I am so aware of the pain triggers in my life, then I, as a follower of Jesus, need to cultivate a practice of being aware of the joy triggers in my life. What are the metaphorical sweet wine and choice foods? What are the metaphorical things that bring the joy of the Lord to my life? There are a few things that I easily think of that are joy triggers for me when I get to see a new baby at church and hug it because the smell of babies is the very best smell in the world. When I get to wrap up in a blanket or my husband brings me flowers or I get an actual letter in the mail or when my daughter tells me a joke or my son asks me to teach him how to drive, it is very scary, but I am joyful that he trusts me with that. Or when I see the color yellow. All these and many more joy are joy triggers. And so my last question to you, my friends, is what is a joy trigger for you? And how can you integrate it into your life so that every time you look and see it, you or your attention is diverted from that low, throbbing pain, and you begin to tune your ears to the soundtrack of heaven, which is joy. As I close, I want to I um, share words from one of my favorite theologians, Miroslav Volf. Um, he led a study on joy for the Yale Center of Faith and Culture. And he says, the Bible invites individuals and communities to practice and participate in God's true joy. Um, and he said that um, after telling the disciples that they should keep his commandments and remain in his love, Jesus explains, I have said these things to you so that my joy will, will be in you and your joy will be complete. Wolf goes on to say, joy is the crown of the good life, integrating all positive emotions as well as, as, as well as including and expressing in our own way the responsibility to lead our lives well and to construe both the world and rightly good. Yet joy is not usually the word that comes to people's minds when they are asked about Christianity or the church. What if it was? What if it was indeed, my friends? What if we were known to access joy as not a Pollyanna optimism, not a pithy one-liner phrase, but an actual strong weapon to resist the despair that is all around us? Amen. <laughs>